0: We hate waiting. And just because we get a lot of practice at it, that doesn't mean that we're good at it. We wait on the highways and the traffic jams. We wait at train stations and at bus stops. We wait in airports for delayed flights. We wait in restaurants and banks. We wait in doctor's offices like crazy. (laughs) We wait upon bureaucracies and upon bureaucracies, and upon bureaucracies. We wait for slow internet service. (laughs) And it all drives us just a little bit crazy, leaves us cranky. I have this reoccurring nightmare that I'm in hell, but it's actually the checkout line in the grocery store. And for eternity, I just keep moving to a different checkout line, only to discover I just picked a slower one. (sighs) When I was a child, I hated it, when I would make a request to my mother and she would give me her favorite response, which is, I don't know, sweetheart, we'll just have to wait and see which like every kid, I thought meant I should just keep asking to wear her down. (laughs) Wait and see. But as an adult, I've discovered just how much of life involves waiting and seeing. The doctor comes into the waiting room at the hospital and says to the family, we did the best we could in surgery, now we have to wait and see. You have an interview where you put your best foot forward, you did the best you could, but now it's over and it's time to just wait and see. How long will the Ebola virus continue to ravage Liberia? We, we have to wait and see. How long will the violence continue to reign in the Middle East, in Iraq and Afghanistan? We're all waiting to see. In our seminary community, there are those who struggle with depression and are waiting to see if they'll ever get out of the dark hole. There are lonely people waiting to see if someone will just be kind to them, not even to mention love them. There are women and minorities waiting to see if they will be honored in the classroom and in the church. You can work for what you're waiting for. You can strive for some approximation of it. You can certainly pray to God for what you want to have happen. But even the activity of prayer implies that we will be having to wait and see what God's response will be. So when we meet the apostles in the book of Acts, is it any wonder that the first thing we find them doing is waiting? The text tells us that they've been with the risen Jesus after Easter for 40 days now, and that he uh, presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs. I'm fascinated by that line, many convincing proofs. I would think if you're talking to a guy who was in a tomb for three days, that would do it. <laughs> what, else, what else do you have to come up with? Um, but then, then he says to them, Wait, in fact, he orders them, to use the the word in the text, orders them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then as this text continues to unfold, the disciples find themselves with Jesus on the Mount of Olives. The last time it's recorded that they were on the Mount of Olives was on Palm Sunday, when they thought Jesus was gonna ride into town and he was going to take charge and that didn't quite work out as they had expected. Now with the risen Jesus again on the mount of olives, maybe they were thinking this is going to be a redo. So they said to him, is this the time? Is this the time that you'll restore the kingdom of Israel to Jerusalem? And Jesus says, "It's not for you to know the time or the seasons. Just wait but you will become my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Then he ascended out of their sight up into the clouds. The text tells us that the disciples just kept staring, gazing as the term he is, gazing up into the heavens. Just kept gazing. You think he's coming back? If you know anything about raising dogs, you know that someone in the family has to be the alpha. This is the person who trains the dog, the person who the dog is most loyal. In our home, that person is my wife, Dawn. She's the alpha. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in our kitchen, and the dog is there, and Dawn has had to leave, and she goes out the kitchen door to run an errand, the dog will immediately go to the door and just sit and stare at it, six inches from the door. He's just staring at the door the whole time she's gone. And then, sometimes he looks over his shoulder at me as if to say, surely she didn't mean to leave us in charge. (laughs) We, We could get in a lot of trouble. Well, this is my hermeneutical lens for interpreting the first chapter of Acts. Surely he didn't mean to leave us in charge. (laughs) When we get to the second chapter of Acts in a couple of weeks, it'll become clear that no, we're not left in charge. That's the good news, isn't it? (laughs) John Stott has written that Tradition has given this book the name Acts of the Apostles. It should be called the Acts of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit because that is what we will continue to see as this drama unfolds. It is still Jesus who is now reigning and working through the Holy Spirit in the lives of ordinary disciples like you and me trying to transform us into people who are sent apostles all the way to the ends of the earth. We have work to do while we wait. Eventually, according to the first chapter, two angels come because this waiting thing, gazing up into heaven, went too long. And so they interrupt the disciples to say, what are you doing? He'll come back just as he left. He'll return. The angels did not mention that it would take at least 2,000 years uh, for for this this to happen. Uh, Who knows how long. But in the meantime, we will wait. And the question is, how do we wait? What do we do as people who have been sent in the power of the Spirit to be witnesses to the ends of the earth? It isn't always an easy task. John Fitzmaier in his commentary on this text says, that between the ascension of Christ and his parousia, we enter the time period for testimony, the period of the church often in strife. Sometimes the strife was caused by those who were persecuting the church. Very, very often the strife is caused by what the church does to itself. The question is, how do you wait even in times of strife? Ernest Hemingway was wounded in the First World War. They pulled 237 pieces of shrapnel out of his body. He then entered a long, long period of convalescence in a hospital ward, surrounded by other patients. He was struck by how different men on his ward waited. Some, he found, used the period of waiting to become stronger. They developed a sense of gravitas about them. Others, through the long days of waiting, appeared to be shallow and without mission. This, I think, influenced his fundamental plot line that he used in many of his novels, putting his characters in a position where all they could do was wait. Wait for a battle that was about to occur in combat, or to wait for the running of the bulls that were about to charge at them, or an old man waiting adrift at sea. Hemingway's fundamental thesis is, the waiting does not break you, it reveals you. Perhaps, during the long period of waiting, God is also waiting to see. Waiting to see what will be revealed in you and in the church, and in its missions to the ends of the earth. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.